The main goal of the Charlottesville Plans Together initiative is to increase the number of people who can live in the area. And Albemarle's comprehensive plan also calls for more homes within the county's urban ring. But how will people get around? One solution that's often offered up is transit. And there's a lot riding on the ability of various agencies to be a reliable alternative to driving. In this edition of Charlottesville Community Engagement, a focus on transit. I'm Sean Tubbs, pleasantly breaking the format once again. In this overly long edition, a very brief update on the Seville Plans Together initiative, Albemarle supervisors learn more about the regional transit governance study that's paving the way for a transit authority. A representative from the Texas A&M Transportation Institute briefs Albemarle supervisors on a study of their existing investment in transit. And Charlottesville Area Transit Director Garland Williams briefs City Council on his agency's current budget and upcoming requests. In today's first Patreon field shout-out, the holidays are here, and the friends of Charlottesville Downtown and the Charlottesville Albemarle Convention and Visitors Bureau are ready for another season of Magic on the Mall. Festivities began this last Saturday and continue this weekend, where there will once again be something for every member of the family. The Jolly Holly Trolley will be running up and down the mall from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., Saturdays and Sundays through December 23rd. Go on a magical scavenger hunt to find the elves in Seaville by starting at Charlottesville Insider or downloading the map online. Follow the Peppermint Trail, where you can find all sorts of treats. You can locate the map in the newsletter. Downtown businesses will have a festive face-off in the Best in Snow window competition, and you can vote for the jolliest. And celebrate with the Shabbat House of UVA the fourth night of Hanukkah with the menorah lighting and traditional foods. Visit friendsofseville.org to learn more. Today's edition is a little different in that I want to deliberately catch up with stories about transit. Both Albemarle and Charlottesville anticipate a lot more density in the future and alternative forms of transportation are often cited as a way that residents of new homes will get around. But does that happen? And who's checking up to see if these systems are effective? Will plans for more transit get rolling? The role of this newsletter and podcast and the Information Charlottesville Archive at infoseville.com is to help people understand what's going on. After all, each of us are asked to consider our own behavior when it comes to topics like traffic congestion and the like. Transit is definitely one of my top 10 topics, so why not devote a full edition to catching us all up with what's happening? In other words, I really wanted to do this research and I made it happen. But here's our first story. The Charlottesville City Council held the final and longest in a series of work sessions on the new development code on November 29th. The four elected officials and one appointed official spent four hours going through remaining topics before the public hearing is held on December 5th at 4 p.m. I pledge to go through all four hours of that discussion as soon as possible, but also need to make it through the November 13th work session at which they discussed affordability with Sunshine Mathon, a member of the Housing Advisory Committee who also happens to be the executive director of the Piedmont Housing Alliance. 
There have been many changes to the code since the Planning Commission held their public hearing on September 14th. Many of these changes have been made at the behest of the HAC, which primarily consists of the directors of nonprofit housing groups, each of whom has a stake in the outcome of the code. To get some information out on this today, you're going to have to look at the links in the newsletter. There's a lot of background information there or previous podcasts. I still need to get through those details from November 13th as well as the November 29th work session, and that's what's going to happen next, I guess. But here's a piece of the tail end of the four-hour work session to give you a sense of how even some members of the city council may not be sure about exactly what's in the code that is the subject of the public hearing on December 5th. We begin with Charlottesville Mayor Lloyd Snook, followed by City Councilor Brian Pinkston, City Councilor Michael Payne, Neighborhood Development Services Director James Fries, and then Sharon Pandak, the city's outside legal counsel on the development code and land use reform. Uh, we exhausted the topics as well as ourselves. Okay, well, one last thing. Did folks get this email from the from Dan Rosenzweig? Hack. Final recommendations for zoning code update dated November 13th, 2023. Well, we did we did discuss those at a previous work session, and I believe our consensus was to incorporate pretty much all of them. There's okay. one thing we didn't discuss, which was the height bonus, but um, obviously we're not going to uh, get into that in detail tonight. So you're saying that this letter, we've already essentially already discussed it. It was incorporated into the discussion on November 13th. Got it. Okay. I wonder why he sent that to me today. Yeah, he sent it. I think well, Brian, I think that might have. When you get a thousand emails a day, it's very easy to overlook one. Yeah. Um, Mr. Mayor, if I might, in that regard, we're going to be providing you some further advice regarding those options that were set forth in that letter on Monday. Okay. That discussion will be in closed session. The public hearing is on Tuesday. I plan on working long hours between now and then to get myself and you up to date. If demographers at the Weldon Cooper Center for Public Service at the University of Virginia are to be believed, Albemarle is on track to have over 155,000 people by 2050. For decades, the county has had a growth management strategy that has limited development to areas close to the city of Charlottesville in order to provide enough density to eventually support transit. In late October, Charlottesville Area Transit launched a one-year pilot to provide microtransit service to areas in Albemarle not served by buses running up and down on a fixed route. This is one of many fruits that have come out of the regional transit partnership that was formed in 2017. Another piece of fruit could be a regional transit authority that works to find ways to help provide alternate ways for people to get around. Both Albemarle and Charlottesville have funded a portion of two studies intended to usher in a new era of more options for people to be able to move around the community. Both studies are under the auspices of the Thomas Jefferson Planning District Commission. The first is the Regional Transit Vision, an aspirational document completed last year that details two possible scenarios for more transit throughout the entire area, including Buckingham, Fluvanna, Green, Louisa, and Nelson counties. The second study is to recommend ways and mechanisms to put the vision into action. Here is Sandy Shackelford, 
the Director of Planning and Transportation for the TJPDC. The Regional Transit Vision Plan established a unified vision for transit service throughout our region. And the intention of the governance study is to help us identify opportunities to more formally coordinate regional transit services and dedicate funding to support the realization of transit operations identified in the vision plan. The Virginia Department of Rail and Public Transportation also funded the two studies, both of which involved the hiring of the firm AECOM. Dr. Stephanie Amoning yankson is the project manager, and she said the plan had many visions. One was to create uh, a region that could work in a collaborative manner, in an inclusive manner, and using an equitable process to provide a transit system that represents both urban and rural needs. The governance study kicked off last year with the primer of the existing system. Uh, I'm not going to recap in the podcast, but there's a link to previous stories in the newsletter if you want to go read those five stories. That regional vision came in both constrained and unconstrained flavors, with the details of the constrained network structured with an eye toward how much funding could reasonably be generated to pay for all the buses, drivers, fuel, and operational staff needed to expand the number and frequency of routes. The unconstrained network imagined a world where funding doesn't matter, so we'll focus on the constrained vision, which would be fueled by increases in taxes that would go to a new regional transportation authority. What this network would go to support is um, increasing the amount of service, uh, both within the urban core and the rural areas. The constrained vision would vastly increase what Charlottesville Area Transit does now. Since the spring of 2020, the city-owned and operated Charlottesville Area Transit has been on reduced service, with no buses running at all on Sunday. There were plans in the summer of 2021 to realign CATS routes and to restore Sunday service to limited lines, but these have so far not been implemented. The constrained plan would restore seven-day service and would reduce headways to at least 30 minutes per route. This increase in service would represent increasing CATS current service by about 113%. And so that's a substantial increase. Uh, for the rural network, what we are looking at is more hours of service in a day, meaning you have to wait around less for a bus to come, having more service throughout the week, as well as additional routes to increase the accessibility of the jurisdiction, the jurisdictions. This would also involve extending transit to the North Fork Discovery Park, operated by the University of Virginia Foundation. Amoning Yankson said the governance study would work toward coordinating and implementing the service. There is currently a regional transit partnership that has no authority. Albemarle currently currently has no means of governance over Charlottesville Area Transit, but the Board of Supervisors does appoint four members of the Jaunt Board of Directors. The next segment will take a look at the status quo, but Amoning Yankson asked this broad question of supervisors. What are your thoughts on adopting a regional approach to uh, tr governing transit? One is to have decision-making and funding all linked together so that everybody's involved in the decision-making and planning, all the various stakeholders. That is Supervisor Ann Malik. She was on the Board of Supervisors in 2008 when the TJPDC was coordinating efforts toward a regional transit authority. 
In 2009, the General Assembly granted permission for such a body to be formed, but a bill to allow voters to decide on a 1% sales tax increase failed in committee. The idea was shelved for several years, but continued to be a matter of study, including the formation of the Regional Transit Partnership in 2017. Over those same years, Albemarle County has been asked to pay more of their share of CATS funding without any ownership. But back to the question. Supervisor Donna Price thought a regional approach to transit governance would work. She said she lived in the Hampton Roads area for 18 years, and the many cities there did not collaborate on this topic. They really did not talk with each other from the regional approach. They were more focused on their own individual locale, which meant you did not have the interconnection between the different areas. Supervisor B. Lepisto-Kirtley said a regional approach would help attract more funding. We don't have the population in Albemarle County or in Charlottesville, but together and with some of these other areas, we, we do have the population that will be able to make this uh, work. Time for the next question. My, my next question that I'd want feedback on are any initial concerns that uh, you may have with establishing a regional entity. Supervisor Jim Andrews said service needs to be reliable and that one concern is that each locality has different population densities and different needs. But also recognizing that we share a problem and that the number of people who have to commute from long distances in order to work in the city uh, on the, and in the county. And uh, all of that's going to make this difficult, but important. Price agreed and said Albemarle contains both urban and rural communities that could provide a sense of common ground. Just within our county, we face many of the um, issues that in combination the TJPDC um, or, you know, local governments face. Lepisto Kirtley said one idea might be to expand microtransit in the rural areas and to combine those with additional fixed routes. Supervisor Diantha McKeel is a member of the Regional Transit Partnership and a supporter of the Regional Transit Vision and potential expansion of microtransit. We need to serve the urban and the rural, and the rural uh, communities certainly need it, whether it's Green or Nelson or just rural Albemarle County. But just to put in fixed routes in those areas is probably not going to be the solution. McKeel also added that the University of Virginia is part of the conversation through their membership on the Regional Transit Partnership. They had been a non-voting member, but joined more formally after President Jim Ryan took office. Here are some things to consider about the UVA's relation to the vision plan. The phrase University of Virginia appears once in the regional transit vision. The word university appears eight times, with one of them in the plan's objective 2.4. Improve coordination between regional transit services and major institutions, such as UVA to maximize transit usage for trips to and from the university and other major trip generators, and to encourage greater investment in transit by the university and other major regional institutions. The letters UVA appear 38 times in the plan, but several of these refer to Fluvanna County. Amoning Yangson's next question was whether the region should pursue new legislation or revisit the previous bill. Supervisors didn't get into the details, but there was also a question of who would be on the new transportation planning body. 
in terms of membership, we are looking at um, the city of Charlottesville and Albemarle County uh, being the initial members, but also having the rural localities join um, as an option. We also want to give um, an opportunity, like we mentioned, having UV as a partner. And so having the opportunity for the university or other entities to also be part of this. The authority would take on the responsibility of planning and implementing services. McKeel said getting to this point has been the point of the Regional Transit Partnership. And when we began the partnership as an advisory partnership, that was always the goal. <laughs> we were clear about the fact that we were going to come together and talk about the challenges of transit in our region and looking towards the future of the possibility of a fun authority. At a high level, the constrained network in the vision plan, finalized in late 22, has a $35.1 million cost estimate. After relaying the current levels of state and federal funding, Amoning Yangson explained there would be about an $18.9 million deficit that would need to be filled to cover the full cost. And so what we did then was review different types of um, funding from the different, different authorities in the Commonwealth. Some examples of revenue sources include a dedicated portion of the sales tax, receipts from the grantor's tax, a portion of a fuel tax, the recordation tax, truck registration fees, and a portion of the transient occupancy and lodging tax. Through further review and conversations, Amoning Yangson said the study will further explore ways to get a portion of the sales tax, the lodging tax, personal property tax, and the real estate tax. We have uh, three different um, technical memos on each of the stages, and we have a fourth and a final report that will come out that provide more details. But what would supervisors support? That's going to be the real question asked across six localities. Supervisor Ned Galloway is a member of the Metropolitan Planning Organization's Policy Board, as well as a member of the TJPDC's Board of Directors. That group had a briefing on October 5th. When you start saying specific amounts to uh, sales tax or transit occupancy tax or any of that, they feel like they're being locked in that, oh, we have to do that one thing. And when they do that, that freaks them out, especially some of the surrounding counties that are more adverse to the word tax and taxes and taxing um, than other places. Galloway said he is a supporter of forming an authority in order to begin bringing money in no matter what revenue mechanism is eventually used. He asked staff to state how much money the county is currently spending. There was a quick response. Uh, it's approximately $4.8 million in the fiscal year 24 adopted budget, and I'm Andy Bowman, Interim Assistant CFO for Policy and Partnerships. Galloway said that getting other counties on board might get UVA to be more interested in participating. We don't get there without a regional transit authority, and it can't just be Albemarle, Charlottesville, and UVA. It has to be broader and bigger than that. The final report will be available in the near future. I'll get to it, hopefully, less than a month after. You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement, and in today's second Patreon-fueled shout-out, the Rivanna Conservation Alliance is about to mark its eighth birthday. 
One of the many activities they program each year is the Rivanna River Roundup, where community volunteers help clean up sections of the river and its tributaries. On September 16th, 270 people joined in to help clean up over 28 miles of river and trail. They collected over 202 bags of trash. Was any of it yours? Take a look at the photo gallery on their website, and while you're there, you can learn more about the restoration plan for Riverview Park in Charlottesville, consider becoming a volunteer yourself, take a look at their recent monitoring reports, and of course, consider a donation. All of that is accessible at rivanariver.org. I'm grateful for the Rivanna Conservation Alliance and others who are supporting this community engagement thing so I can continue writing about all of this stuff. Thank you very much, and let's get back to the show. Two more segments, and in the last one, we heard a briefing the Abamar supervisors had on the possibility of creating a regional transit authority. If that happened, part of the reason would be for Albemarle to have more control over the increasing amount the county spends each year on transit. Albemarle has budgeted about $4.8 million for transit in the current fiscal year. Before the budget was adopted in May, supervisors had a work session on the topic, and one of the next steps from that meeting was for a consultant to be hired to review what the county is getting for its investment. Here is Andy Bowman, Albemarle's Interim Assistant Chief Financial Officer for Policy and Partnerships. Our transit is continuing to increase in complexity for the array of services we're providing, uh, the multiple providers, the change in the state and federal landscape of funding, uh, the complexity of CARES and ARPA funding that has come into the system in the recent years, and also just the, the impact of transit coming through the pandemic and what does that look like. So Albemarle hired the Texas A&M Transportation Institute to provide a third-party look at the existing setup where Albemarle pays Charlottesville Area Transit for fixed route service and pays Jaunt for paratransit and some fixed route service. Bowman said the report is a starting point. One of the things I appreciate in this report is there's not very prescriptive recommendations and the county must do this. It's really highlighting these are the questions and conversations the county should look to have in the future as we consider what our transit network looks like. Michael Walk is the program lead at the Texas A&M Transportation Institute. We were tasked to determine, are the levels of service being offered in the county reasonable given the county's population, given the county's makeup, etc.? In all, the study has 22 findings and recommendations, and they're all in Section 6 of the report. Many of the recommendations were highly technical, particularly related to services to satisfy Americans with Disabilities Act transit requirements. There was also an observation about fixed route services offered by Jaunt. The commuter bus routes, the connect routes, there's the two, there's 29 North and the Crozet uh, connect routes, that both of those routes, albeit they do have ridership at this point, have relatively low productivity compared to industry standards. What we mean by that is how many passengers are on the bus per per hour that the bus is in operation. Right now, the 29 North is about 4.3 passengers per hour and Crozet's at 1.94, according to the data that we saw. The industry standard is at least five passengers per hour, 
and Walk suggested work be done to increase productivity, which could include more marketing or changing the service to attract more riders. Walk said the study also reviewed the fleet size of both Cat and Jaunt. Overall, the the size of the fleet of CAT, right, how many vehicles they have is reasonable um, given what what an industry target of around 20% spare ratio, particularly if CAT is returning to its pre-COVID service levels sometime in the near future, which I believe the plans are heading in that direction. Jaunt has a 56% spare ratio, which is quite large. But Walk said that could be a benefit for Jaunt in the near term with lower capital costs for replacement vehicles. Supervisor Ned Galloway wanted to know if the Texas A&M Transportation Institute had any advice about how to proceed in a situation where one public organization is contracting services from another, such as the case where Albemarle pays Charlottesville for fixed route service. We are a government entity contracting with a department of another government entity Whereas when I contract with vendors, I can pretty much say, I'm paying you for this, you give me that. And if I want to question you about it, then I can do so. Galloway said at times, Charlottesville has been less forthcoming about providing information to Albemarle because of the politics between the two communities. He did not put that blame on CAT director Garland Williams. So that's a tricky situation to navigate both for them, the city council, us, the county board of supervisors, and a department head who is doing his best to run his transit service. Walk said the situation is not unique, but he did not have a response from the dais. Supervisor Diantha McKeel asked Walk if a formal transportation authority would resolve some of the intergovernmental tension. Creating a single government entity that then oversees right. all of the operations certainly takes out right. some of the inherent conflict. That's Uh, what I was thinking. You just said it better than I did. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) McKeel said it has been easier to get data from Kat since Garland Williams took over as director, but she'd like to see fresh data to see how ridership has changed post-pandemic. Supervisor Ann Malik said she was struck by how much ridership has dropped on the Crozet Connect. Because I was flabbergasted considering when the Crozet Connect opened, they were doing 10, you know, 20 people a bus and had to get a bigger bus. Malik said the installation of a planned and funded park and ride at exit 107 could help. The project's advertisement for construction bids is anticipated for October 24, according to the Virginia Department of Transportation's website. She also said people will return to transit when the cost of gasoline exceeds $4 a gallon. There will be an additional report from the Texas A&M Transportation Institute in the near future. This particular podcast is already overly long, but I want to include this next segment as it's germane. As mentioned above, Charlottesville Area Transit's governing body is the Charlottesville City Council. To end this edition, let's check in with a November 20th budget briefing on transit. Here's Garland Williams, director of Charlottesville Area Transit. I tell everyone we are a planning organization that happens to run transportation. We have to plan out every single thing that we do. Williams appeared before City Council and gave an update on where things stand and where they may go in the future. The fiscal year 24 budget for CAD is $11,995,775, with a transit revenue budget of nearly $12.2 million. That does not include about $2.3 million in pass-through funding for Jaunt. 
The total budget also does not include $1.9 million in total funds for the MicroCat project that CAT is supervising for Albemarle. In fiscal year 24, the University of Virginia contributes $84,900 to support the trolley-style bus, a figure that has decreased over time. Of the nearly $12.2 million in revenue, Williams said 38.8% comes from the federal government, 25.9% comes from the state, 23.6% comes from Charlottesville, and 10.8% comes from Albemarle County. That share is determined through the service levels in each jurisdiction. We have um, automatic passenger counters, so we can tell you specifically how many people got on at every single stop in our system. We have a cost system um, agreement with the county that we will split the cost by hours. Ridership in fiscal year 2023 was 1,147,016 unlinked passenger trips, down from just over a reported 2.4 million in fiscal year 2013. The decline comes despite pandemic-related federal and state funding that makes the buses fare-free through June 30, 2026. CAT has begun the process of updating its strategic plan, as I reported back in July. This strategic plan basically sets um, how we're going to operate for the next um, 8 to 10 years. A community survey garnered 523 entries, and Williams said desires that rose to the top included more frequent service, expanded coverage areas, expanded weekend service, and better bus shelters. All things that we're already working on, and you will see that as part of our FY25 budget. Williams said there were several challenges facing CAT, including returning to previous service levels, increasing reliability and frequency, and transitioning to a unionized workforce. Another is the transition to a new fuel source, with the firm Kimley Horn hired to complete what Williams said is a mandated study. He had news about a successful grant application from the federal and state government. We put in, we took an opportunity to uh, put in a grant opportunity and we won um, two um, bus, um, battery electric buses, um, which is outside of the norm because they normally don't do that until you complete your study. Williams also said CAT recently got $324,000 to upgrade bus stops across its service area and will work with Albemarle County, the Virginia Department of Transportation, and the Virginia Department of Rail and Public Transportation to implement those upgrades. But back to those plans that Williams mentioned at the top of this segment. He said an optimization plan was conducted during the pandemic to study existing routes. We are looking to phase that in before we go to the larger model, which is um, the plan that was developed by um, the TJPDC in conjunction with the transit organizations about an unconstrained or constrained model, um, which puts everybody in the boat and let's say, let's let's try to do this and and make them the best system we possibly can. Williams said that will take more resources. Charlottesville Mayor Lloyd Snook had the last word. You you said that you are planning for your growth. I hope you are also planning and that we are all planning for CAT's role in the city's growth because the the way forward for a whole lot of reasons uh, for Charlottesville is through transit. Um, And I would love for the director of CAT to be seen as a climate action hero. So... What do you, the person who listened to the end of this installment of Charlottesville Community Engagement, what did you make of this? What other questions do you have? What suggestions? 
Do you know how to have your say when the time comes? That's the whole point of Charlottesville community engagement is to get people to these conversations and to begin to try to explain to people that all of these conversations are happening and you got to be there if you want to know what's happening. And that's hopefully what this newsletter and podcast does. Thanks for listening. And now it's the end. now we're at the end of number 608, which is not a bus route. I had it in my head that it was necessary to put all three of these transit segments in one newsletter and podcast, because public transportation doesn't get talked about that often. This kind of attention to one topic that's related to so many other topics in our community is exactly what paid subscribers are paying for. And if you've not had a chance to do so, maybe today's the day you could do that. And if not, that's okay, too. Just sending it on to somebody else would be great too. But I will be spending my evening tonight thanking the dozens of new subscribers who have paid up since mid-October. If you want to join them, internet provider Ting will match your initial subscription. Maybe transit is part of the solution to this community's future, or maybe not. My role is to see where the story goes, and Ting's unique sponsorship helps me plan to do so. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Goodbye.